All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast. I am Travis Flock, and I'm joined today by our normal host, Ola and RJ. And we also have a featured guest today, who is Kozafi. Kozafi, go ahead and give yourself an introduction. Hi, guys. Um, thanks for having me on, first of all. So, for socials, you can find me on Twitter, Kozafi, K-O-Z-A-F-I. Same for YouTube, and I've also got a podcast I've just started called The Highest Ranks, which is available on Spotify now. It should be on Apple Podcasts soon, hopefully. But yeah, big Chelsea fan and can't wait to get started. Yeah, I know I've followed you for kind of more or less the duration of my football Twitter time. So good to finally, uh, it's good to finally meet you and talk about this. And we're looking forward to it as well and happy to have you on. Uh, so we come to you today after the match against Manchester United at Stanford Bridge that saw once again another nil-nil draw between these two clubs this season. Um, and there are both positives and negatives to take away from that. Uh, it's great that we're so defensively solid, but you know there probably is a little more left to be desired up front right now. I think if you were to take the pulse of the fan base, I think that would be a common thing right now. We had a couple chances. We had the Giroud near header from a, a phenomenal ball played in by Calum Hudson-Odoi. And, and then we saw Giroud where David De Gea gave the ball away and passed it right to Giroud, and he kind of rushed his shot and, and hit it pretty wide and wasn't really close with that. You know, there weren't a ton of other opportunities. It was, it was a pretty cagey match, and it seemed, you know, like United were were able to take some of the pressure to us and it kind of ebbed and flowed a lot. It really was hard to say that, in my opinion, one side was definitively that much better than the other today. Um, I know we probably, you know, have, once again, high number of possession and a lot of passes being played and keeping the eye off the ball. But in my opinion, there were a few moments in the match where we should have been scored upon. And if it was, if it was for a slightly better execution, one of which was when Ra- Rashford was running down the left wing the ball to him was overplayed. And then there was another time where there was a counterattack going in the second half for United. And once again, they messed up their ball, their final ball to release the player and no goal happens luckily for Chelsea. And really the only time that Mindy was called into action that that was a little bit harder than what you might expect was from the shot uh, by McTominay where it was a cutback and he shot first time. Uh, and it kind of went through a sea of bodies and and Mindy was able to just kind of get his chest on the ball and knock it away. So without any further ado, I'll cosify. I'll let you go ahead and get your uh, opinions on the match in and what you kind of, what were some of your biggest takeaways from it. Starting off, I felt disappointed from the game. I think, think we could have taken it to them a bit more. The last um, 20 minutes, you could see two sides trying not to lose rather than trying to win. We were basically playing for the draw at the end. <laughs> the subs, I was, again, a bit disappointed. I mean, Hudson-Odoi was taken off for what I think Tuchel said was injuries and tactical reasons, which was interesting. I thought it was solely an injury. But would have liked to maybe see Pulisic, Werner come on a bit earlier. Giroud, I think, was ineffective today. I don't think this was one of his best games. He was close in the first half with that cross from Hassan Adoy again, but besides that, and maybe the snapshot he had, he didn't really have a whole lot of chances, didn't really do too much. I think, yeah, like you said, the positives, the clean sheet, 
man of the match, I'd probably be going with either Christensen or Rudiger for it. I think they were both solid. The attack is where it's just it's disappointing. It's underwhelming. We're not creating enough chances. It's not enough clear-cut opportunities. Ziyech, at the beginning of the second half, had the what was probably the best chance of the game. And probably a mixture of a good save from De Gea and also maybe not the best finish from him. But I think overall, it's two points dropped rather than a point game. I really think we could have gone for it at the end. United weren't particularly impressive, didn't create too much. Credit to our defence for being solid. I, I kind of have to agree with you on that. The last 20 minutes were a bit disappointing. And, you know, I was watching the match with a friend and we both kind of looked at each other last 15 minutes and said, yeah, they're playing for a nil-nil draw. They're not really trying to go win this match. Just kind of a lot of, if the chances come, we'll take it. But if not, we're happy to sit back and, and keep the result as it is. But uh, I'll go to you next, uh, RJ. How did you see the match? Do you agree or disagree with some of what's been said? Yeah, I've been thinking about it constantly since the final whistle and it's mixed emotions. On the one hand, I'm with you guys. It's It does have, give me that sense of it is more of a two points dropped rather than a point gain. But then, you know, I'm weighing it up here and I'm thinking, oh, I can definitely understand the nervousness and the approach, particularly from our side of the world where we don't want to go all in because it really isn't the time at the moment to go all in given that there are still, you know, 12, 13 games left. So did, did we really need to commit 100%? So I can definitely understand that side of the world. And also the additional context here is, yes, I agree, we could have and should have probably taken a little bit more of a gamble and been a little bit more brave in our approach. We've also got to show some respect to the opposition. They're not the most fancy of teams that will come at you like a Liverpool or a City, but respect and give them credit where they're due. They are second on the ladder. They now have 20, un- 20 games unbeaten on the road. They're a tough nut to crack. So it's not like as if, like a game against Southampton, for example, we should have won that game. That's a whole different kettle of fish. Whereas this one here, we are versing some pretty strong opposition at the top end of town. So I think perhaps while we're a bit harsh and rightfully so, we've also got to give a little bit of respect as to who we were playing. That said, there's a lingering issue from our end on a twofold basis. Firstly, the creation of genuine full goal scoring opportunities, not half chances, and then the ability to be clinical with those half chances. So you brought up the example of ZH's missed chance. That was the, the chance of the game. And yeah, I agree, you probably should have put that away. But watching it again a few times, full credit to De Gea because he's diving one way and did get a strong hand. If it was a little bit higher, a little bit lower, it's a goal. But when it's not your day, it's not your day. Overall, I'm just glad we didn't lose the match given we still keep ourselves in close proximity of the top four and still can influence our own top four destiny. You know, I think it really does kind of come down to it. It feels like there's two points lost here. and I thought the match was there for us, but it's just... Uh, it's just it is just fr- frustrating at this point that it just seems like we we do everything right, but that final attack, that final ball, that final decision making, and it's it's becoming our downfall. And we'll we'll talk about that more later. And finally, Ola, I want to let you get your thoughts on the match in too. I know there's been a decent amount said, and it sounds like we're all 
sort of an agreement on this one, but did you see anything differently? Differently? No, I wouldn't say so. I have to agree with the guys on this one. We, I don't think anyone played well in the first half, if I'm being honest. We didn't, we didn't play well in the first half. And we were making poor decisions in the final third again. The there was no movement. It was flat, to be fair. And in the second half, we, we came strong. We were playing a lot better. Our defenders really, really played well today, especially Christensen. Especially Christensen. He had a 100% passing accuracy. That's actually quite insane. He, he played well. And not only that, he had, I think he recorded the most defensive actions. Among the centre-backs, he recorded the most defensive actions. He was, he was very good. And we considered a couple of counter-attacks that could have been quite embarrassing. We were able to tidy up and not concede from, from those. As the game went on, our players grew into the game and, and got more comfortable. And there were a couple of chances that I felt we could have done better. The Giroud chance, for instance, though, you could say Otsnador's cross was quite fast and traveling with a lot of swerve. And it wasn't the easiest ball to deal with, really, because balls like that are difficult to deal with for, for defenders and for, for the attackers that they are sent to. So there is that. But I think Otsnador created the best chance of the game. I think overall, Ziyech was our best attacker. He created the most chances. He, it, it looked at some point like he was playing as the false nine or, or the striker. And, you know, Manchester United definitely did not allow our attackers to, to hold the ball for long. So the, the man on the ball had to do what he wanted to do with the ball quickly. And Ziyech didn't have a flawless game by any stretch of the imagination. And he wasn't amazing. But it was better than the other two attackers. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about the attackers and, and how do we solve this issue, right? We're, we're seeing a very strong defensive effort most times from Tuchel simply because the other team doesn't have the ball. But for me, there's just this continual issue. And, and I've asked this question to a few other podcasts and, and content producers today after the match because it's the only thing I'm really interested in, in answering at this point in, in terms of my own fanhood and stuff when I watch this team, which is how did we get this front three to start making decision, to have decision-making that is above the line required in the premier league? Because I'm not going to lie. There were several times today. I literally threw my hat to the floor in anger at watching this team. And the decision-making at this point is uh, it's poor. I, I don't know how else to say it. And I it understand is it is. And I don't know if anybody else disagrees with me, but this match today and looking at Atletico, which I know they were playing a back six, back nine, that was a great result, but we got a moment of brilliance to get that result. Result is still the, what it is. It is what it is. We win that first leg. But it, going back even further, right, we're playing like teams like Newcastle, and I think that's expected to win. And it, it just does seem, it just seemed in like Southampton was especially another really obvious one where we produced and controlled the entire match. But when we get to the final third, it just, it just all falls like a house of cards. Just, do you guys feel this way or am I alone? Am I being too harsh in this criticism? The, the match that should, that really should have our poor decision making was the Tottenham game. I think in, in this match, we just didn't have enough movement. We didn't give the, the, the man on the ball enough penetrative passing options, if, if you know what I mean. 
So today, I think it was more of a movement thing. Against us now, we, there, were, there were a lot of chances where we ran through their midfield, ran through their midfield. Sometimes we ran into their defense. There was a lot of space, and we just made the, 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 the bad decision. For us to improve chance creation, we need, we need movement. We need movement of the ball, and then we need the man on the ball to make the correct decision at almost every point in time. As Bidgota, his distribution wasn't, wasn't fantastic. Let me just put it that way. There were a lot of times when, even when the movement was there, we didn't have the right man on the ball. There were times when we could have gotten the edge on the ball quicker, and we didn't for some reason. So it's, it's, it's a combination of many things. Chance creation is not just you look to one player and you say, oh, you are the one that will create us chances. They have to work with something. And I've seen many, many criticize Ziyech crossing. Some, some say he's one-dimensional. All he does is cross the ball. And our best chance today came from a cross. So it's a bit ironic when you think about it because some games are just like that. When nothing is happening, it's a cross. The problem is you need someone to cross to. And if, if Giroud is not, in, is not in, in the box, then who are you crossing to, really? It's on the other players who receive the passes as much as it's on the man making the pass. Communication would help. Playing together more would help. The problem is we have so many players that getting a run of games together, it's going to be very difficult, especially with the run of games we have. So it's, it's a little bit of everything, really. I think in the final third, um, I, I don't know what it is with the attackers. I don't know if it's a confidence issue, training. It, there's just no, there's no chemistry. The decision making from um, maybe not Giroud today, but Mount Mount wasn't the best today. I think as much as we all love Mount, he does a good job for the team. Golden Boy, all of that. His decision making is not the best in the final third sometimes. I think him and Zia. Thank you, Kozafi. Thank you. <laughs> I won't lie, I used to criticise him a lot, but I've, I've laid it off. He's the only one who will give you 100% in every game. But if we're talking about decision-making, but players like Zia, in this type of game, you need him to be the difference maker. And stats-wise, he was probably our best attacker. I mean, that's not really saying much considering Giroud was basically anonymous and Mount, he tried hard, but it wasn't his best game. I don't know why it's taking so long for the players to gel. Maybe not having a pre-season new manager. I'm sure there's a lot of different factors, but at the moment, I think, yeah, like you said at the beginning of the show, 10 goals in nine games, it's really not good enough. And that's something that has to change quickly. Ziyech was... I hold him to very high standards, very high standards. People contributors would, sorry, Pride of London contributors would, would tell you how highly I rate Ziet. And when he doesn't have a good game, I, I acknowledge he doesn't have a good game. When he has poor games, I acknowledge he has poor games. But today, I just, I just think our problem was not with him. There were, there were times when he could have gotten on the ball, he could have, the ball could have gotten to him quickly. When, when the movement was happening, he didn't have the ball. And several times when he had the ball, the movement just wasn't there. Against Sheffield United earlier in the season, he made about, I think he had attempted 10 crosses and completed four of them. Anyway, the, the, the point is he created three big chances in that game. 
And we're all talking about how, you know, he has arrived and how good he is and all of that. All the movements that was in that game, none of it is happening now. And in, I think it was against Tottenham earlier in the season when he played a game where he attempted, he attempted some crosses and fans were frustrated because the, the crosses weren't working. But there was nothing else. No other pass was on. It's not, it's not like regimes was running down the flank and he just didn't pass the ball to regimes. He does that whenever, whenever he sees it. When he sees the pass, he makes the pass. When he sees the simple pass, he makes the simple pass. He doesn't just pick up the ball and look to cross it. Today, he made no crosses, none. He didn't cross the ball at all. So it's a cross the game needs, really. And I just felt the movement wasn't, wasn't enough today. But I agree with you. I do expect him to be the difference. He had, as at the time he, he was subbed up, I think he, he was the one that registered Chelsea's two shots on target. We had eight shots on target at some point, and he was the only one that had put a shot on target. So I think he brought us the closest to scoring, but that doesn't really say much considering there were three attackers and Giroud wasn't really in it. The Mount wasn't, wasn't there. So He had a mixed bag, full stop. And what I mean by that is we obviously know of his X-Factor abilities and some of that was on display. And the example I'll have to draw on that was we all remember the Maisie run by Mason Mount in the second half where he got, it was a good 40-yard run at least, but then he cut back and sort of had that weak side foot effort despite the good run to get there. But to release Mount was actually ZH's really delightful flick to even get him into that space. So it's just those little examples about how he can be that difference maker. But then you rewind it in the first half, there were numerous occasions where he cheaply gave away the ball or just outlost physically the battle. And it's just a broader yeah, question of, yeah, does, does this guy here, as creative as he is, does he have the physical capabilities to manage the rigour of each Premier League game? And it, that might be a bit early to judge because he's just come back from injury. But there's also a question of, does this style of play and the formation get the best out of Hakim Ziyech? And I think that's a very valid question because from what we've seen since he's come in, he's looked a bit of a shadow of himself. And that's not to dispute his qualities because we've already seen what he could do under Frank Lampard and before his injury. I just do have some question marks as to whether or not he's going to be able to flourish in this sort of new role that he's been given because I don't think he's the most dynamic or athletic of players like a Cho or like a Reese James, for example. So I just have a, yeah, like I said, a few questions as to his sustainability under this particular setup, but we'll have to see. The, 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 okay, so like one of the things that stuck out to me was that shot he had. You know, he hit it like right at the center of the goal. That was one thing that made me upset in the match. And I just, I, I felt that it was... It was like he would come into the match and start to show his quality, and then he would fade away. And then he would come back and he'd fade away. It just you just didn't see that full you know display from him. And we haven't seen that at all since Tuchel has taken over. Actually, we haven't even seen it. You know, for if you want to go back to maybe late November or the Leeds match, we haven't seen it from him. So it's been disappointing. And I I, I kind of agree with you. I don't know if this system suits Hakim Ziyech well. And, I, and the reason I say that is because. You know, it, we've seen it now over the course of uh, nine matches, and he hasn't really played a ton. But even, you know, you go back to like when Tuchel was appointed the manager, I saw a lot of, you know, people that studied Thomas Tuchel say that they were worried about how Ziek could probably not fit into this 
team. It's not just Mason Mount or Akeem Ziyech. It's a collective. It's, you know, Timo Werner has some decision-making at times that I look at my, I, I know I just have to sit there and stare at it and be like, that's, that's what you came up with. Like you're a striker and he continually cuts towards the corner flag and the, you know, in the byline instead of going in towards centrally. It just, I don't know. I actually don't have the answers anymore. That's kind of where I'm at with this problem because this isn't just this season. This goes back to Antonio Conte. This goes back to Maurizio Sarri. This goes back to Frank Lampard and now Thomas Tuchel. It's the same thing again and again and again where we just, you hear this term creativity thrown around a lot. We lack creativity. We lack creativity. We don't have a creative midfielder. And my question is, well, what actually is creativity in the game? And my answer would be it's essentially just decision, effective, precise, incisive decision-making. And I think that we lack that. You know, I, don't, I don't think we have that. And I think that since Cesc Fabregas started a little bit of a phasing out process in the squad under Antonio Conte, and then it continued as he was sold uh, under Maurizio Sarri, we just don't have anybody with that level of decision-making to break down and just find these great chances that are going to come through. And that's why I'm saying I don't have the answers anymore. I can't even really give an answer because I just think that we lack the profile of player required. I, I don't know. Maybe if you guys see this as a historical trend like I do, or if I'm maybe taking a little too many leaps of logic here. I think there's something in that. I, I certainly don't think we have enough players who can pick out a pass that can be the difference between a goal and no goal. I mean, for, for instance, we, are, we have a counter, a player has the ball, everyone is running. You see a pass. The amount of players who can actually pick out that pass, I, I, I don't think it, it's up to two in the whole squad, fit and unfit. I don't think it's up to two. Last season, our, our, the person that created the most chances for us was William. And William is not, is not, really, a, 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 not really a creator. In that way, so it just it just goes to show that we've had this problem for quite a while. I mean, you compare you compare it to Manchester City, and for three plus seasons running, they've created more than three big chances per game, per game for the whole season. So yes, well they have they have Kevin De Bruyne to be fair to them, but even even without De Bruyne on the pitch, they've always made good decisions in the final third. We don't. It's not it's not good enough. Well, we got a massive signing who was on the bench today who hopefully in the future he can make that difference in Kai Havertz. I mean, he hasn't set the world alight since he's come here, but I mean, I'm waiting for him to come good. I know eventually we'll see it. Hopefully he can affect it. I don't know where he'll fit in. I think the formation alone, when you're playing free at the back, when you've got... um, not limited forwards, but players like maybe Werner who don't aren't creators and you got them out wide, you're not gonna have as many chances when you're playing Alonso, who's sort maybe the furthest person forward sometimes, or the one who's supposed to be crossing the ball, then you're not gonna have those high quality chances that like Man City have when they've got players like Bernardo, De Bruyne, Mares, Alders, Sterling, all of those guys. It's Partly a personnel issue. We do not have that quality in the final third as compared to the, t- the best teams, but we still should be creating more than we are, even if it's not at the level as Man City or the Bayern Munich or whoever. That is due to multiple reasons. And I think 
once the confidence goes up, once Tuchel is happy with the defence, we're set up fine, I think then maybe we'll begin to see some better patterns of play going forward, some more inventiveness, if I can say. But yeah, at the moment, it's just it's not really inspiring and it's, it's just not good enough. Quickly, I was just going to say I was nodding my head in agreement because I think we have made some pretty sizable investments during the off-season, of which, like you said, was one of them sitting on the bench. I'll just say, though, to, to sort of contextualise that, some of these investments were bought with the long game in mind, knowing that they're not always going to fire on all cylinders this season. So it's just, even though it's not an excuse, it might come across that way, it's just a little bit of perspective that it's going to take time for these new boys, especially the younger ones, to sort of find their feet. And real and, and the really, it's important to note that some of these guys have had their own injuries and setbacks as well that sort of overlaid their progress, unfortunately. I think it's collective, not just in the players, but collective also in, in the way we've been set up as well because I think perhaps there's a case where I can understand Tuchel's desire, if you will, to really solidify things at the back when he took over because that's just a, a normal sort of train of thought where you take over from a team, they're going for a rough patch. So just like a basic equation, there's a, a defence and attack. If you fix your defence up, that at least nullifies the ability to lose a game. So if you can build that solidity defensively, then you can start to worry about improving your attack. But now that we've sort of improved our defence, it's just a natural question of how much emphasis now do we start to play on the other side of the equation? Because for me, I think that we probably haven't struck the right balance between that uh, attack-defence trade-off. So I think it's a little bit of a collective problem, both for the players to resolve, but also for the manager to take perhaps a little bit of a, not braver stance, but perhaps a little bit more open-mindedness with the players that we do have. I think time would actually solve many of these problems. I mean, I mentioned the Newcastle game where we created four big chances in the first half. That's a lot of chances to create in one half. I think we would improve as time goes on. We definitely have better players now than we had last season. We, we have that for sure. And if we keep playing the way we play, with our passing patterns, we can actually we can move teams' defenses around. It's just that when we get to that final third, we have to we have to do the right thing. We just have to. We did the right thing against Newcastle. But in the second half it it, it all went away and since then we haven't really found our mojo back. So I think time will tell. Because after you mentioned the formation is one that doesn't really allow a lot of dynamism and creativity because you have three center backs, you have two wing backs, you have two central midfielders. One of them is more defensive. So you effectively have six cent- six defensive players. And it, it means the, the, the kind of players you can have in the attack are, are limited because you can't really have three creators as the attackers. You can't have two creators as the attackers because you need people to do other things than try to create chances. So I, I, I think he'll work on the chance creation thing later. Um, I did want to point out there was a key incident in the match which could have really flipped it on its head. It happened in around the 15th minute. 
where there was the ball into the box and Hudson O'Doy was tracking it back as a defender and he was kind of running towards it and then Greenwood was running towards it and Greenwood runs forward. They kind of collide and Hudson O'Doy's hand, which is slightly above his shoulder, makes contact with the ball. Nothing was given at the time and then VAR comes back and looks at it and awards no penalty. Being as unbiased as you can, did you agree or disagree with that decision? I disagreed with the referee's decision. According to the rules and from what I understand of the handball rule, you can't say Otanadoy touched it by mistake because he saw the ball and his hand was above his, his shoulder, so it was in an unnatural position. And that has been awarded as a penalty at several points this season. I just don't see how. I don't see how this one is not a penalty and the others are. I just felt if they had given the penalty, I wouldn't have been surprised. I was rather surprised the penalty wasn't given. I, I thought it was a penalty. So Ola thinks it's a penalty. How about, uh, how about you, RJ? I like how you said try to move the bias aside because I, I like to think in the name of our show we're pretty balanced. But I think the one thing is obviously we spoke about this before recording and, and I'm happily will say that I will steadfast agree that the decision was right. But that said, I also tend, I tend to agree with Ola that I wouldn't have been surprised if they had given it, given the precedent that had been set. So I think that's important to state. However, I just think it would have been such a really, really, really hard call to give because I don't think, especially in this day of technology and the way that he was running towards the ball, yes, his arm was up, but he was looking to sort of brace himself for a challenge against a bigger person. And if you really break down the clip, he does get a nudge towards that ball. I don't think he's trying to, it's not a game of basketball where he's trying to make a block with his hand like a goalkeeper. Like he knows that it would be a deliberate handball. So why would he make a play at the ball? I don't think it's as clear cut as what people are saying. Whereas they tried to compare it to the West Brom game the day before, I believe. And that instance there was, there was a corner. Both players are going for it. One of them gets the jump ahead and the other one's trying to put his arm ahead to try to reduce the gap between him and his mark that he lost. So I don't think it's apples and apples comparison. But look, I have to say, would I have been surprised if they'd given? No. But would I have been upset if they did? Yes, because I don't think that's in the spirit of the game. Again, I don't think it's a very blatant sort of handball, quote unquote. So that's my initial perspective, at least. I might change it as I watch it another couple hundred times. RG, you mentioned deliberate handball. And I don't mm. think handball has to be deliberate for it to be given as a penalty. It's just like the rule that the handball stops a shot on goal. It's but I think card. it's more incidental. I think it's more incidental. I don't, yeah, I might have said deliberate, but I think, yeah, again, yeah. he's... You may be right. I see your point. Really. I see what you're trying to say. And finally, uh, Kozafi, how about you? Did you think that was a penalty decision that should have been awarded for United, or do you think that was a good call by the ref? Um, in a yes, no, yes, it is a penalty. They're always updating the rules these days. I'm not even sure what is a handball. Is it movement towards the ball, unintentional, intentional, deliberate? I don't know. But um, before the handball, the free kick that was given should not have been a free kick. I don't know if you guys remember it when McTominay gets his knee right into Mount's face. I was surprised when the ref blew the other way to give the free kick to United. 
I mean, that won't be mentioned in all of that. They'll just say, was it a penalty? Was it not? I mean, that free kick should not have stood. It's one of those ones where if it's against your team, you're saying it's not a penalty. But if it's your team, you're screaming that it is. Some refs that's give it, as we saw. That's, some uh, that's, that's what I'm I would agree with you. Right? That's why I'm saying. That's why I kind of like qualified with is being as unbiased as you can, right? If you're the United fan, it was a clear penalty. If you're a Chelsea fan, it probably wasn't. But in terms of where I weigh in on this, I would say that for me, Greenwood initiates contact, which causes the entire issue, and you have to consider that, right? Because that that was that part of the play preceded show touching the ball, and you can make the argument if. If Greenwood doesn't initiate contact and raise his arm, does Cho's arm raise and touch the ball as well? And the ref probably seems to, I don't know what their reasoning was, but I, they may agree with me. I'm not sure. But either way, they say no penalty. But on the flip side, it was no penalty. And, and we'll talk a little bit now about what each manager said. And we'll start with OGS and what he had to say in his post-press conference, you know, a little post-match interview with the with the reporter, and then we'll talk about Tuchel briefly as well. But Ollie said that uh, he thinks it was obviously a penalty, terrible decision, you know, and he went as far as to suggest that Chelsea are actively manipulating referees so that United don't get decisions anymore. It is, yeah, it was, it was the most baffling post-match interview I've seen because it started off very diplomatically and he said, something to the effect of, I don't want to repeat it because it'll create controversy. And then five seconds later, he went down controversy lane and then decided to talk about systematic corruption, essentially. So, like, yeah, it was, this all stemmed from the website on Chelsea talking about how, and he conveniently doesn't want to highlight this in his post-match conference, about just how lucky they got the last couple of times we've, we've played. We saw the WWE chokehold from Maguire and Azpilicueta, no VAR review. We saw Maguire again, studs up, take out Bacuari, no review. And the same game, we had a disallowed goal. But conveniently, he neglects to mention all of the positive effects that VAR has had on his club. So for him, of all people, to comment about the actual system working against him is just quite ironic and baffling, simply put, really. It is, RJ, and that's how I actually have to laugh a little bit when he said that, how he's like, I don't want to dig up controversy, but here's this massive conspiracy theory. <laughs> but I, I think you can just look at their uh, Europa League game on Thursday. Lindelof came in on a ball that he was attacking, and he jumps in the air, and he literally hits hits a Sociedad player in the head with a flying knee, and there's there's yeah. not even a foul given, let alone a red oh. card in like a five-game wow. suspension. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. I, I'll never forget it. I mean, so 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 his own player flying kicks an opposition player, but it's Chelsea players that are manipulating refs. Really, social. Yeah, that's really. that's kind of where he was going with that one. It that's, seemed that, like that's, that's what he's going with. I, I I think it's rather I think it's rather rich coming from Manchester United that they have a a, a penalty that doesn't go their way. I mean, there is something called Ferguson time. Does he know what Ferguson time involved? Ferguson time was literally, I think it was a referee feeling the pressure of adding time at the end of, of matches so, so well, they, could, they could get late winners and late equalizers. Just, just to interject here for a second, Ola, I don't know if you saw Mark Clattenburg, but he said that whenever Ferguson used to be in the EPL, that referees 
felt, I, I can't remember the exact quote because I don't have it in front of me, but to the, yeah. he said something literally to the effect that there was an aura around Manchester United with Sir Alex Ferguson that influenced yes. their decision making. Yes, exactly. Because for one, he was, he was powerful. He was influential. You didn't want to get on Ferguson's bad side. That much was clear. The only person who wanted to get on Ferguson's bad side was Jose Mourinho, and we all know why, you know? So it, it, it's weird that Manchester United, a club that is known for get, being favored by FA particularly, is going to come out and whine and cry over a penalty decision. It's one penalty decision that happened in the first half. You had the whole second half to create other chances to score, and you didn't. I, I don't I don't I don't think he has anything to worry about really. It's just weird. But it's it's exactly like social to to complain about one decision as a reason for how the whole game went. Because you know it's because of that one penalty decision that Bruno Fernandez did not really do anything of, of purpose in the match, you know, because of that one penalty decision. So it's just a bit rich coming from Manchester United. I just want to know who told him um, that it was on the Chelsea website that something about manipulating or Maguire and the referees or something. He quoted that during the um, post-match interview. And I thought that, uh, is he on the Chelsea website looking at that or was he briefed by the media team? I just yeah, want to have a burner account. Well, I yeah, actually think he's got a, I actually think he's got the fifth stand app on his mobile and checks it all the time. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, he, he needs to he needs to see what a good what a good website is of a of a of a respectable club. So that makes sense. I can see why he would he would yearn for that kind of content. That that that's fair. They actually brought up a good point at the end of that. Like they watched the post match comments, and I believe it was. Owen and Skulls in the commentary room were saying, Solskjaer has just said we were essentially robbed of a penalty that would have given us three points for a perfect performance. And they really honed in on that because they said, if United getting a penalty, which is not even not a guarantee that they're going to convert despite their good conversion rate, is warranted to be a perfect performance, then their standards have dropped significantly because, in other words, all they're playing for is a cheap penalty and a smash and grab. This is Manchester Sorry. United. Sorry. So, who mentioned a perfect performance? Who said Manchester had a perfect performance? Yeah. So, just mentioned perfect performance. Wow. Yeah, it would wow. have been a perfect performance had they got that penalty and got those three points. This this actually just shows you, doesn't it? You go on Twitter, you see just fans complaining about VH. You just fans complaining about man's decision making. Manchester United attackers were absent throughout the game. They were they were not there. Yeah, I just thought that was quite interesting. But even pivoting to our team, just quickly talking about the lack of creativity because I forgot to mention it earlier. But one player who I thought low key was probably someone that was creating our most sort of genuine unlocking abilities was actually Antonio Rudiger. He hit a couple of really long balls <laughs> yeah. and actually completed three take-ons, which was more than the United attackers combined. So I just thought, wow, if that's the sort of player that's looking to stand out amongst those sort of individuals from both teams, then that says something about the contest itself. Who knew we'd be looking for our creative spot from Antonio Rudiger? Yeah, that just tells you everything, doesn't it? 
Hey, Rudiger had a really bright run in that like opening couple of minutes uh, in the box and just just kind of ran out at the end there. But that that kind of gets me to the next thing I wanted to talk about briefly was you know the, the comments from Tuchel said that he was thought it was overall a really good performance and that obviously the same things we've kind of talked about that you know just the, the chances are coming it's going to get better but this is encouraging and they played well and they adapted to the three five two to deal with the press from United and so on and so forth and he kind of just made it seem like it's good and just really briefly do you agree with Tuchel that this was a a good performance? No, he sugarcoated that quite a bit there. I mean, defensively, sure. We were solid. United didn't really have any clear-cut chances. There were a few um, crosses. They just fizzed across the six-yard box. There was the one at the end. McTominay should have really done better there. Kante did well to recover. But defensively, sure, fair enough. We were good. But going forward in the midfield, the wing-backs, when Reese James came on, very, very underwhelming. Chillwell, anonymous. Going forward, not enough opportunities. I think I've learned with Tuchel to take what he says with a pinch of salt because, no, this was not a good performance by any stretch of the imagination. I'm actually going to disagree with you because I think, I think okay. it was a good performance because I remember the away away leg. I, I don't I, I seem to remember things I don't expect to remember from matches that have happened earlier in the season. But I remember the away leg and we were defensively solid. Our attack was nonsense. And we can't really say our attack was great in this game, but we looked closer to creating chances than Manchester United did. I, I think we can, we can all agree on that one. In the context of this race, a point in this match is good. Because for one, it means that we are still unbeaten on that Tuku. And let's not forget that coming into this run of fixtures, Atletico, we have Manchester United. We play Liverpool on Thursday. So we we keeping a clean sheet against Manchester United. It wasn't, well, it was quite long ago. It was at the beginning of last season that we considered four goals to Manchester United. Four goals, more or less four counter-attack goals too. So for us to have kept them at bay and re- resisted and snuffed out all their counter-attack shows progress for me. And I think We've seen Leicester lose to Arsenal. We played Manchester United. It was a draw. It, 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 it shows us that we will still get chances to, to go above Manchester United. We'll get chances to go above West Ham. We'll get chances to go above Leicester. Because the teams above us are still going to drop points. The only team I don't see above us dropping points is Manchester City. It's just give them the title now, shouldn't they? Just end, end, end our misery. Let's start the next season. But yes, I, I think in, in the context of this game, a draw was a lot better than a loss, obviously. But it's a very difficult game. Manchester United is a very difficult game. Let's not forget, they didn't concede any goal to Liverpool. They didn't concede any goal to Manchester City. Yeah, I think sort of I land in a little bit in between. I originally agreed with Kasafi where I think there's a little bit of Tuchel trying to use his intelligence to play the positive narrative for the media because he wants to have a harmonious environment and I think he'd be mindful of the sensitivity of it, sensitivities if he came out and was overly critical of the performance because I think Ola you're you're sort of overlapping performance with result because I think there's a positive result in the sense of we didn't lose and then we've made progress against United so I agree that's a tick 
But I think both teams, and not just Chelsea, but I think both teams were a little bit cagey and not sensational in that final third. So I think it was just an overall, not the prettiest game on the eye to watch, a very tactically mutual, respectful sort of performance, as the commentator said. But I don't think necessarily he was as brutally honest in his press conference as what Oli, even though Oli went off on his rant, I think he was a little bit more accurate to say, we both played strong and cancelled each other out, but we were lacking quality up top. I actually think that's a fairer assessment of the game. But that's just my take on it. Yeah, and I, I think I'd have to agree with you on that one, RJ, that for me, it's a little bit of a mix. I don't I, I don't think it was as good as, as nearly as good as a performance as that Tuchel was trying to say in his presser after the match. And my simple reasoning is look back to what I've been talking about this whole time. The decision-making was not good enough. There just is, to me, there just is not enough when I watch these matches to suggest that that I have any confidence we're going to score two or three goals. So I don't know if he can fix this, and that's kind of what I've been alluding to is this maybe just player limitations. I, I, the answer probably lies somewhere in between, like always. But before we wrap up here, I just wanted to give everybody a chance to say who their man of the match was. And I will just briefly do that, and I think my man of the match was Antonio Rudiger today. I think my man of the match was Andreas Christensen. I think that's fair, too. I think you're probably going to see a lot of shouts for Rudy and Christensen. How about you, Kozafi? Yeah, I'm in between the two for them. I think I'm going to edge with Christensen, but it's close. They're both very solid today. But yeah, I think I'll go with Christensen. Yeah, fair enough. I, I think that's a good call. Shout, too. Is, I mean, I think that's one of the, the two obvious choices. How about you, RJ? I was going to say the referee, but in all seriousness, <laughs> <laughs> that'll probably irk a few United fans, I'm sure. But <laughs> You can leave that uh, to not, your, uh, it's a football yeah. podcast, right? You can banter yeah. there. Yeah, well, that's a side note. I've already had some robust discussions with the United co-hosts, but that's a neither here or there conversation. My man in a match for this game, I'd probably split between Christensen and N'Golo Kante, to be honest. I thought he added a real steal and kept the... Um, ever-dangerous Bruno Fernandes, very quiet. And that's not something many teams have been able to do recently. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. And I did see that Conte on SofaScore had an 8.0 rating and he kind of was just that disruptor all, all game. And, you know, I, I think that in summary, you know, we, we saw a very strong defensive performance as we saw most of us are kind of agreeing one of the center backs would be our man of the match today. And we kind of all had this agreement that, you know, the, the performance was not as good as Tuchel said it was. Although it wasn't a bad performance by any means, right? A one point against second place Manchester United when we have kind of had this topsy, you know, turvy up and down tumultuous season probably is not the worst thing in the grand scheme of things, but it just left more to be desired. And we kind of arrive at a good conclusion here that this seems to be a collective problem of, of uh, the front three and what do we do to break down teams and just not being able to find that enough. So, you know, it's been a great discussion here. And you know, I mean, within one match there that ended nil-nil, I, there was quite a bit to talk about. Surprisingly, you might have thought, you know, nil-nil scoreline, nothing happened, boring, so on and so forth. But it really wasn't. It was kind of a duller match, you know, no goals, but enough talking points throughout it to easily have enough to dissect. And, you know, I want to, again, Kazafi, thanks a lot for coming on. You know, I really appreciate, you know, showing interest in uh, uh, support for us. It, it means a lot. And you know, it was great having you on and uh, I, I, you know, continue to tell all the guests as well as you, you know, if we can continue to find times and, 
and space uh, to get you on. It'd be great. Uh, you know, I like expanding this more and getting more people's opinions. And it really fits in with what we're trying to do here to build a kind of a very balanced, uh, holistic kind of podcast amongst the fan base. So thanks again for coming on. And uh, for anybody out there, give his uh, podcast a follow. I'll let you give one more chance to remind the listeners of uh, where they can find you and the podcast that you're starting and anything else that you have going on. Right. So yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking with all of you. Um, the podcast is the highest ranks on Spotify, hopefully Apple Podcast too. And on Twitter, you can find me K-O-Z-A-F-I, Kozafi. Well, I'll be talking maybe a bit less balanced than on here, but <laughs> no. I, uh, Twitter's not the best place for balanced <laughs> conversations no, no, anyway. No perspective, no nuance on Twitter. Just it's hell. Or it's heaven. We're getting <laughs> relegated or we're winning the treble. No in between. With that said, great episode, guys. Great discussions. I really thought that we kind of yeah. talked about some collective issues in the squad. And thanks again, Kazafi. It was great to have you on. And for all the listeners out there, until the next time, keep the blue flag flying high.